Before we start, just to let our wonderful listeners know that this episode will actually be a two-parter. We ended up with too much good content to squeeze into our usual 30 to 40 minutes, so make sure you catch both bits. Welcome to Get Amplified, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders, covering topics from keeping up with the pace of change, staying fulfilled in your role, and looking out for the well-being of your team and, of course, yourself. Brought to you by the Amplified Group. As always, we're virtual. I'm at home in Bucks, Vicky's as usual in deepest, darkest Oxfordshire, and Shah's over in the Netherlands. So, Shah, what are we going to cover in this episode? So um, the topic today is the importance of trust related to keeping up with the pace of change. And it's kind of uh, another one that's dear to our heart because we've got uh, our belief, which is that organizations, you know, if they're going to thrive in today's fast paced world, they really need a high trust culture. So as we're talking about this today, I think it's, um, it's very poignant. And um, joining us today, we have a lovely gentleman, a lovely Irish gentleman. I hope you don't mind me saying that, Martin. Martin Kelly. Um, I'm a bit biased because my daddy's Irish, right? So uh, we know Martin for a long time now. And I guess if I was to describe Martin Martin's leadership style, I would say that um, he has a great balance between strength as a leader, but also humility. So some leaders feel that they have to have an ego and some aspiring leaders also feel that they have to have a leap an ego, but um, Martin just doesn't have an ego. He leaves that at the door for sure. Um, so it's always been great working with Martin and I'm really delighted that uh, he's agreed to join us um, today. So with that, Martin, maybe you could just give us a little bit of a, a career history just to get us going. Sure, uh, Sharon. And uh, uh, with an introduction like that, I hope I can uh, I hope I can uh, maintain your confidence in my humility and egoless. So I'll I'll do my best. But uh, yeah, a little bit of background. I I I'm Irish, as you said, born and bred in Ireland. A farmer's son left college at the in the early 80s with a degree at the age of 19. I thought at that stage I wanted to be a teacher, but soon decided that wasn't for me, and I wanted to do go off and do something in business, whatever, whatever that was. Um, and I got into IT completely by accident. I, I put together a CV and I literally went door to door handing them out to uh, to businesses in Dublin. And one of the companies that um, I handed it out to uh, contacted me and asked me in for an interview, and they were the a distributor for a fairly um, small US technology company called Apple. Um, and Apple at that stage had just released the Apple II. I think I've, I think I've heard of them. Yes, I think, I think so. And uh, my career, as, as, as we probably discover later, has kind of tracked uh, Apple. And, and uh, I, I think they, you know, they, they released what was really the first personal computer in the Apple IIe and then followed by the Lisa, which was a precursor to the Mac. But, um, but that was kind of my uh, introduction into the computer industry, completer, completely by accident. I, I then worked in Australia for about nine years. I worked in Deloitte Consulting, and I worked for a GE company um, in the technology area where I set up and ran an SAP um, consulting business, which was, uh, which was good fun. It was around the time of SAP launched R3, so it was, uh, it was a pretty interesting time to be in that world. Um, but after nine years in Australia, I came back to Ireland, and after a short stint try, trying to set up and run a medical software business, I joined Citrix, 
Um, and I'd never heard of Citrix before I joined. I, I literally had to do a, a search and, and still wasn't sure I understood what they did even after doing the Google search. Um, and I had an interview with them and I, I, uh, they were looking for someone to run tech setup and run technical support for Citrix in Europe. And I'd never done tech support before. And I, I said that to the guy uh, who interviewed me and um, he was looking to build a, a management team for Europe and said I had some strengths he thought would be useful. So I said, okay, I, I really liked the guy. I was intuitive. Uh, my gut told me, okay, have a go. And I, and I did. So I ran Citrix European, set it up from scratch pretty much. And frequently partners would invite me over, not to take me out to dinner or anything, but to back <laughs> me up over <laughs> the quality of yeah. our support. So I, uh, I, don't re I don't remember Citrix at all dreadful. That's the right oh. thing to say, sir. That's a compliment. It wasn't dreadful. You you you've run you've run a support business. You know I, nobody nobody ever phones you up and says and says, Dude, you did awesome support for me today. Never. <laughs> you know ever. The 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 best thing you can Except Vicky and Jaron maybe occasionally, but certainly yes. uh, customers yeah. rarely did. Um yeah. If ever you were invited over to meet them, it was for it wasn't a good thing. So no, I was gonna say I remember being invited by Mark Stradling onto a board of key customers in um in EMEA. And you know, I initially I was kind of proud of the fact, but then I realized the only reason I was there was because they hated sport. And then that my career accomplishment or one of them was to get kicked off that board. They said they didn't need me anymore. So I was happy that's <laughs> Yeah. But <laughs> you, you've clearly done your job. And then I got promoted to run worldwide tech support, which meant moving to Florida. Um, I did that for a few years. That was, I'm sure we'll come back to talk a little bit more about that later, but that was, that was an interesting experience. We had about 300 people around the world. And um, it was my first kind of global experience. Also my first time living in the US. Um, and then after a while, I think about two years of doing that, I had to move back for family reasons. I didn't want to and couldn't move to Florida. So I came, I, I indicated I was coming back. I was going to leave Citrix at that point, but um, the CIO at Citrix at the time asked me if I was interested in moving into, into IT. And I, I again told him I know nothing about IT. I'd never, I'd never worked in, in, in IT before, although I'd worked in the technology industry all my life. Um, and his comment was that he'd, he'd had 600 people in IT who knew everything about IT. He didn't have anyone who knew a lot about customers. So I said, okay. That's I, brilliant. What a great <laughs> statement. That's fantastic. I, uh, I love it. Yeah, I mean, I was I was surprised, frankly, that he took the the risk because I I saw it as a huge risk because I literally had never worked in IT other than being a user and I'd probably not a very happy user and you know I was I wasn't sure what I was getting into um, but you know again intuition gut whatever I I um, I took on that role and I I did that for about nine years in total. Um, I ran the internal operations of IT, which was we had two functions if you like the the internal IT network storage um, operations side, and then there was the, the uh, application development side, which coincidentally another Irishman ran. Um, and so I used to say that if you, if you don't like what's running or you needed something new, you talk to him. If you, if you have something that's not running as well as it should be, and you're not happy with the performance of it or whatever, that's where I come in. So I ran that team, it was about 200 people around the world for, uh, as I say, about eight or nine years. Fantastic. What a journey. Yeah, it has been. It has been. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I was when I left, I, I retired from Citrix in 2018 and I took some time out and I was thinking, what will I do next? 
And I was trying, I found it really hard to figure out what am I actually good at because I've done so many different things. And I, I, I decided well, that, that what probably I really- means you, Probably means you're good at everything. Well, yeah, but that can be, you know, that can be, you know, the old jack of all trades and master of none. Master thing of none, yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but I decided what I really liked doing was putting together teams and trying to get the best out of them. And, and, and so I, 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 I did a, coach, a course in executive coaching and leadership development. And now what I'm doing is actually doing leadership coaching with IT leaders who are going through some kind of transformation or, or um, you know, journey that to, you know, in the whole digital transformation area and everybody's doing it. So there's lots of people who need Or at help least everybody's that. talking about it. Well, that's for sure. Yeah, that yeah. is for sure. And the label is used for a lot of uh, what would have been called, you know, applying patches or small upgrades yeah, yeah. without digital technology <laughs> projects. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. So. Oh, brilliant. Oh, interesting perspective. Really good. So uh, obviously, you know, through that, there's been a lot of change. Our topic today is relating to the pace of change. Vicky, would you care to give us the uh, Amplified Group take on that, please, if you don't mind? Thank you. It feels a really hard act to follow after just hearing all of that from, from you, Martin. Um, so we talk a lot about the pace of change in our industry, but it is actually a, across the board, isn't it? Every organisation, you, you know, when you pick up a book from McKinsey or obviously a post they've done, everyone's talking about the pace of change. But really, how, how do you define that? And, you know, great to hear you guys, that conversation about digital transformation, because, again, it's that label that everybody uses. But really, what 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 does it boil down to? Um, in some of the work that I was doing recently, I came across a reference actually um, by McKinsey, and it was talking about the S&P index. And it was basically saying that when the S&P index was created in 1958, organizations would expect to stay on it 61 years. By 1980, that had reduced to 25 years. By 2011, it was 17 years. Now, here's a question for you guys. In this decade, how often are organizations changing on the S&P index? What do you reckon? Mm. Good one. I, I reckon people, companies can expect to last four years. That would be my guess. Yeah, I was going to say five. Okay. It's changing every two weeks. Wow. <laughs> Which, so, you know, that just shows. So all of these organizations that have been doing what they've been doing forever, if they're not careful, somebody is going to find a way to do it yeah. bigger and better. And if you look at transformation and innovation, if you're not spending time, and we're working with FTSE 100 organizations that have recognized that if they don't put more time into transformational innovation, so not something that's adjacent to what they do, but really looking at their business through a different lens, then they may not be around because the world is changing and it's changing so quickly now from our perspective what that means is and you know we're here and we're talking about tech and the industry is tech and that is our background and we all see the power of technology and let's face it that's that's what's making this happen um and with the introduction of 5g goodness knows where it's going to go to but what we're what we need to come back to is it's down to people and it's down to people interaction and how 
those people interact. And it all starts with having that high trust culture that means that it's a safe enough place for you to say what you really think, get those elephants that people are hiding under the carpet on the table and go, right, come on, let's address these issues, let's move forwards. And it, so it starts with that people interaction. And so it's so wonderful to be able to have Martin on here to, to not only relate to how the transformation and change he's gone through, but to be just such a formidable leader. So thank you, Martin. Yeah, no, happy to be here. It's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, as you speak there, I think the, the thing that strikes me is that if I look back and I said earlier, I, I, I struggled a lot to trying to define who I am, what I am after Citrix. But I think the one thing that, that's common to it all is, is actually putting together teams and reading and understanding people and, and trying, to, uh, trying to get the best out of them without being sort of manipulative or without being sort of sneaky or, or you know, um, just by being uh, relating to them on a one-to-one -one person, on a one-to-one -one basis as a person, like really understand yeah. What is it that really drives them and how can that be used or not? If, if what their real driven factor is, is not relevant to what we're doing, then maybe we have a different conversation. But if you can, usually you can find there's something about what really motivates them that's really important to what I'm trying to do. And you can have that conversation about how, how about let's, let's try and put these two pieces together and, and move it forward. So it's... Um, it's an interesting it's an interesting perspective on it because so often digital transformation and so on is talked about in technology terms in process terms in you know devops agile blah blah, blah. and all of those things are great but but it, it it invariably comes down to the person across the room or the team that you're presenting to are they really buying into what you're saying are they on board or not and yeah it makes sense i i like i like to think of it not as digital transformation but as business transformation enabled by technology that's probably my perspective on it which yeah. means you're right it's got to be a conversation so that's that's the background now let's get into understanding more about martin and, and your very interesting journey so i also want to start with your time leading teams and a bit of uh, you know if you can sort of summarize your experience around some of the teams that you've led if you don't mind please yeah, so I mean, I, I got into management probably in my 30s in Australia. So I suppose one of the things that I've done is I've, I've managed in different countries and different cultures. And, um, I, you know, managing in an Australian culture, I then came back and set up the European tech support for, for Citrix, which was, although it was based here in Dublin, it was actually a multicultural team. So it gave me exposure to managing uh, people with different, you know, backgrounds, perspectives and, and um and that was interesting. I won't say it was easy at first because I had come, I mean, if you, when I grew up in Ireland in the 80s, a very monoculture, black and white, gray place. And so, you know, having moved across to Australia and then having run a team in, um, in Dublin, I had to adjust and adapt to uh, managing teams with different backgrounds and different perspectives. But, but like Vicky said, at the end of the day, if you strip it all back, there's people and, and, and the people behind it is what, where you have to sort of, in order to get the best out of them, I think you have to get that connection at a personal level. And I don't mean, you know, by arms around and being all sort of, um, you know, too, too intrusive, I suppose, but it is about connecting at what is, what it is that, that they get excited about and motivated by and uh, and trying to make you know ensure that that part of it is um is brought to play you know in what we're trying to do as a group i suppose the biggest people management 
difficulty, frankly, was when I moved to the US, um, because although, you know, as a, I think it was George Bernard Shaw, the Irish writer who said that the English and the, and the, and the, and the Americans are, uh, you know, are two countries separated by a common language. And certainly there's, there's, you know, there's an expectation that, well, I, I didn't speak Spanish or French or German, so I, I might find it harder to connect with people there. But when I go over to America, I'll be fine because they all speak English and here I am. And, but actually, I found the American business way of operating much more difficult to adjust to. Um, and frankly, I was, I was suffering from culture shock now that I look back uh, in my first six, eight, nine months there because the team spirit that we had evolved, and it wasn't, it wasn't just me, it was very much this whole Citrix Europe had a very particular culture and style as, as uh, Sharon and, and, and Vicky will remember. And it was very energetic and very motivating and really uh, it, was, it was a real team ethic. In the US, I found it very different. It was very, very individual. And, um, and so it was, you know, adjusting styles there took, took a little bit of time. And, uh, and you know, frankly, it was, it was quite difficult for, for me at first, but uh, eventually I think I, I, did, I did get there. So what were your main areas of focus and objectives for, for Citrix IT infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I took on this role having been VP of worldwide tech support, but never having worked in IT. So I, I came in, I suppose, with a perspective that wasn't so much about um, looking at what IT did um, in, in, a, in an internal way, but looking at the impact it was having on the people that we were, that we were serving. Um, and I remember, you know, we had a particular difficulty in that we were the IT group within an IT company. So you had a lot of people who offered a lot of very generous advice on how to do it um, and were very, uh, you know, very high expectations around, around what, we, what we should do and could do and so on. But very often they were completely competing um, priorities. So for example, they might say, we, we want you to you know, use the very latest this or that. And then as soon as you did and things fell over, they got all antsy about the fact that stability was impacted. You, you know, you, you have that constant tug of war between innovation and stability, because on the one hand, you have to keep the, you have to keep the ship afloat. On the other hand, you can't stay as you are. So, you know, people in my team used to frequently say to me, well, which do you want? And they say, well, actually, I want both. I want, we have to do both, but we, we have to do it in a, in a controlled way. But I remember when I took on the role first, I remember sitting down with a guy who had done the role before and asking him about what, what his team did. Cause literally I, I knew very little about it um, other than as a user. Um, and, and he talked about, you know, he, this was the infrastructure side. He talked about, you know, the projects they had and they had these various phases and they had, you know, design and they had build and then they had, you know, test and rollout. And then he said, and he actually used the words. And then at the, the very last step he said is, is the customer. I remember saying to him, the last step is the customer. I, I would have thought that's the first step. And uh, he kind of looked at me and I wasn't being smart, but I think he thought I was being smart. And I, I genuinely yeah. thought, well, surely what you're doing has to, the agenda of what you're doing has got to be set by something. He kind of had the approach, yeah. well, yeah, but they don't really know what they want. So we, we sort of figure it out for them and we, and we give it to them. So that was a, that was a struggle for me as, as a person who'd come from a customer service function yeah. of stepping back that's, to that extent that's really interesting with with softcat when we would do our sort of 
corporate presentation you know we try not to be too corporate but you've you know sometimes you've got to have a deck when you go and talk to a new customer mm-hmm. um but we used to present our org chart to help the customer understand how we were structured and most organizations always had the ceo at the top and then the you know the re- re- relevant directors and then the managers and then the sales guys or the tech support guys or whatever and then the customer at the bottom we had it entirely the other way around the customer was at the top and then you'd have their account manager who was dedicated then their point of contact and then everything else was presented as resource all the way down rather than up to the director team and 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 the ceo presented as a resource to be channeled through that account manager into the, into the customer. So it's a really interesting change of perspective. I think you're absolutely right to do it that way around. I think that's quite enlightening. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it really is. The, the other one I, I always thought was interesting was that we never had directors parking spaces out the front of the, of the building or anything like that. And, and I used to think, you know, you go and see a, a business and if the first five or ten spaces right outside a mark for the director team you know you know they've got the business the, the, <laughs> potentially the wrong way around and if those spaces are empty then you really know they've got a problem with their business you know those directors <laughs> are doing what they're, they're probably on the golf course yeah. um, as, yeah. as opposed to working in the business which you just thought was I, re- I remember parking at softcat when i came to see you yeah, probably yeah. about two and two and a half miles away from. Uh, yeah, 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 because you just grew so quickly, didn't you? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So the the spaces outside were always customer spaces, or um, obviously disabled stroke maternity stroke whatever, uh, and also employee of the month, employee of the quarter, and things like that. So you know, it was a, just a slightly different way of doing things. Yeah, as, no, but it's, as it's, these it's, things usually were. But it's important. I mean, symbols like that, yeah. I think, make a big difference. Yeah. And it, it's about yeah. your priorities. And I know Mark T, our, our CEO, used to talk mm. about, um, I mean, he was the one who really encapsulated the whole thing about being, about humility. And Sharon mentioned it earlier. I think that was, um, I mean, I'm kind of humble anyway, but it's, it's certainly why I found Citrix such a, a great place to work because it wasn't about us as people. It was about what we did and the output and the results of what we did. And Mark T used to talk about the fact that he didn't have a car space and he, you know, mm. he had a nice office and so on. But um, of course he did. Yeah. Thing, uh, Sam, just to pick up on what you said about the, uh, the customer, because someone sort of, um, complaint about IT is that it's not customer focused and I understand how it can be very difficult to to come across as customer focused because you know the well because of the dynamics of IT and and because sometimes as, as I mentioned the competing priorities between having to do things that are not necessarily customer beneficial for example you know having to upgrade having to patch having to do security having to maintain um, you know adequate capacity to grow and so on and, and none of that is necessary that's expected that's the customer says okay I, I don't give you any special rewards it's like the the old one about the dial tone you don't ring up the phone mm. company and say thanks a million the dial the phone worked today the dial tone's there yeah. it's yeah. expected right so yeah. so much is expected but like the old saying the reward for satisfying customers expectation is their expectation increases so it's yeah. kind of a never-ending process of trying to you know trying to do more but I think it's it started with having a focus on for me anyway on IT is having a focus that orientated towards what the customers wanted as opposed yeah. to what we thought they wanted. Yeah, absolutely. Whether that's internal customer or your business's customer, either way, that's where to start. Yeah. 
exactly. Um, I very much saw our role as, because we were the IT department of an IT company, we had two customers to serve. One was our internal mm. customer, but even more importantly, I, th I saw an opportunity for us to influence external people to, um, yeah. to, to use our technology. And so I don't know if you want to talk it now but, or later. No, 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 no. I think that makes sense. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's like the old adage about the cobbler's children's shoes full of holes, you know, if it, but the, the reverse is true. If you can get your IT all singing and dancing and enabling your people to do different things using your own technology as an exemplar for your customers. That's just fantastic. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, definitely when I, when I joined IT first, the, the first impression I had is that we, we were incredibly internally focused. And like when I talked to people about what they did and so on and what their accomplishments were, what they were f focused on, it was all stuff to do with internal projects. There was no validation or no, uh, you know, affirmation that this was important to anybody other than the people who were working on it within IT. And so that was, that was a huge kind of a light bulb for me was to say, well, okay, yeah. this is, this needs to be, and, and probably some or all of that hopefully was, was, was useful to somebody, but if there mm -hmm. was no step in the process that validated that what that was, was, was useful uh, to customers we served. The other thing we did, and I'll talk a little bit more about it later if you, if you don't want to dwell on it now, but to be a showcase for how to use Citrix mm. technology. And we weren't, frankly, because in, in many cases, people in IT didn't use Citrix technology and across Citrix, people often didn't use it. So we were out there telling people to use you know, uh, virtual desktops or, or Zen app or whatever. And mm. in many cases, we weren't using it ourselves. So we made a point of saying, we are going to be our own first and best customer. And, and that was painful because, yeah. you know, we took early release of, of products. They didn't always work. Then it's all the blame game. Did you deploy it right? Yeah. Was it engineering? Was it blah, blah, blah. So it didn't necessarily lead to harmonious relations with everybody. Uh, plus people had jobs to do. So yeah, you want me to use it, but I also have to make sure that things are up and running and I can't get access to my desktop because whatever, whatever. So yeah. it was, it, there was quite a lot of pain, but for me it was worth pursuing that because in the end, if we couldn't stand over and, 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 and validate that this technology is really good for, um, for a customer like ours, then, then how could we say it to anybody else? So yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So how did you go about turning that paradigm upside down and making the whole thing customer centric instead of technology centric? Because that's just such an important thing to do. Yeah. Well, the first thing I saw we needed to do was we had to steady the ship, right? Because we had a lot of very, because I, I spent a lot of time outside talking to customers and I I then stopped doing it because I was getting the same thing over and over again. I didn't feel I was getting any more. I, I, people were unhappy with the responsiveness of IT, with the stability of systems, with our ability to move as fast as they wanted to. Um, some of which I was responsible for, some I wasn't. I know that, for example, a lot of different functions wanted to do more in the area of app development and so on. I wasn't, it wasn't my bailiwick and not that I wanted to point the finger of blame, but I couldn't actually help them there, but I did you know, introduce people to them. But <laughs> so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to give you an example there. So when I ran Citrix's global SMB business, and this was before you took over the role, Martin, so I feel like I can say this, I went to, to IT and asked them to give me a dashboard so that I could manage my business. And they came back to start with and went, no, 
Yeah. You can't have it. And then I asked again, said, could do with this. But they still told me it was going to be six months. And it was, my business was changing on a daily basis. And yeah. IT was not keeping up with us at all as a line of business owners. So it, it's great to hear this from the inside and how you turned it around. Sure, we made some progress in some areas, but it, it, it was still the, the conflict, if you like, between competing priorities and, and the ability to respond as and when people needed to was still a, you know, it's a, it's a, it was a dynamic thing that didn't, it wasn't a kind of a once and done. Plus, we also had the other problem or issue, I suppose, of our CEO was out preaching the gospel of consumerization of IT, of, you know, don't let IT get in the way. And, you know, if you, what was his phrase? If you don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. And if you don't, if you don't get what you want, then do it yourself or grow your own or build it or buy it or whatever. So you had all of this stuff going on and there we were trying to get our arms around it. And on that cliffhanger, that's all we've got time for in this episode. Make sure you catch the second part to find out how Martin managed to meet the CEO's demands by making Citrix's internal IT service customer-centric.